check, 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 check. Well, good morning, everyone. As you know, it's my tradition. I love for us to greet one another. So if I could, I'd like for everyone to stand. If you find it convenient, you feel physically capable, please stand, find somebody in the auditorium you have not spoken to this morning, give them a wave, and let them know you are glad they're here to worship God this morning. sing together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be unto you, singing hallelujah, hallelujah. Ask and it shall be given unto you. Seek and ye
us online. Uh, I have a little bit of a confession to make. I had some confusion this morning. Now some of you is going to say what's unusual about that. And I'm going to say well it's not unusual. But I wanted to make sure everybody else understood that there there's a Super Bowl today. <clears throat> but um, and, and it's a football game. But on February 21st is the Super Bowl that if, if it's going to have eternal consequences, which it could, this is the one that's going to have it. And it's the Bible Bowl Super Bowl. Bible Hour Super Bowl, correct? And that's February 21st. Uh, and that's the one that's uh, important for our kids, important for our parents, important for us as a church and uh, I think it'd be great as many of us could support that and let those kids know that we're supporting them and those parents let's pray holy God we assemble here together to thank you for your love mercy and grace we come to praise and honor you as our creator and sustainer. We thank you for the salvation that you provide through Jesus and for the sacrifice he made for us. We acknowledge your strength and power and how holy and perfect you are. We also see how imperfect and unholy we can be. We thank you for forgiving us and for having a plan for us to be cleansed from our sins. We thank you for your word that guides us and directs us and for your spirit that dwells within us. Father, we thank you for our church family and friends. We have so many that are suffering and are sick. We ask that you be with the Stauffer family, the McClinic family, the Sandoval family, the Burnett family, the Parker family, Bill White, Stan Clark, Jimmy Philpot, Mark Philpot, Terry Frick, Chris Condor, Debbie Jones, Dot White, Gail Brown, Sue Rhodes, and J.C. Banks. Father, give them your peace, comfort, and healing as they face these difficult circumstances that they have. Father, we pray that for Bill Allen, Davy Carter, Donnie Carnathan, Donnie Cook, Francis McBee, and Sharon Hammond. Strengthen them with your spirit and help us to encourage them as they work to help each of us here in this church. Father, be with the Youth Minister Search Committee. Give them the wisdom, guidance, and patience they need as they work to find the Youth Minister that we need. Holy God, we pray that you would continue with, that you would bless each member here. Soften our hearts so that through our weakness, you may become strong. Help us to humble ourselves to allow your word to sink deep within us, to strengthen and encourage us. Help us to not think more highly of ourselves than we should. 
be quick to listen to one another, slow and thoughtful in responding, and even slower to become angry. Forgive us when we fail you. Help each of us to forgive each other. Lift us up to become better servants to you and to each other. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before I go into uh, the Lord's Supper, I did want to say something on uh, behalf of the youth group. I grew up in a small church, Old Omen Road, and uh, when I was a kid, time to get into the youth group, we didn't have a youth minister either. And uh, there was a young fireman at that time and his wife and some others that helped out as well. I know some of y'all know Robbie Wade and what I think of him, but uh, it's got lasting impacts, and Chad, you don't know, you know, what you're doing, but it's a good thing, so thank you for that. So, uh, you know, I've told y'all before, sometimes I just say what's on my heart when I come up here, and sometimes I'm actually prepared to say something, so I put a little preparation today, because uh, I got an email from Bill, and so that's usually like, we don't need any of your freelance, so... So I'll start this morning at the table by reading some scripture here that's going to apply with his lesson. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. And this was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. And that's in Romans 3, 23 through 25, English Standard Version. 
If you would, pray with me. Lord, thank you so much for Jesus Christ who came to die for our sins, to the Jew and to the Greek, which is us, the Gentile. Realize this is a precious avenue and that our minds need to be right there at that cross at this time and understand this sacrifice and that this is a precious moment each week that we can come to that cross just for a moment, just to understand the pain and the suffering and the body as we partake of this bread, we remember that body and what it represents to us in Jesus' name. Sorry, this old UPS driver's hands don't have much dexterity, so it took me a second. If you would, let's go that cross again. Lord, it's the blood that washes away sin. And uh, the cross had to be a done thing, a propitiation, an appeasement. Something pleased you. You can't look upon evil. You can't look upon sin. Something perfect had to sacrifice. Bulls and goats weren't doing it for us. We appreciate that you opened the door to the world and that we're all your chosen people now. And thank you for giving us a high priest that was sinless. As we understand this fruit of the vine represents that blood. In Jesus' name, amen. concludes the Lord's Supper, um, but before we go right into uh, giving thanks, um, we're going to roll a uh, Biblical Institute of Central America uh, slideshow, and uh, I'll tell you a couple of things about that and some of the hardships they faced, you know, as uh, the world has with what's going on. I know it gets redundant and repetitive, you know, COVID this, COVID that, but it's the times we live in. And there's been times like this in the past, you know, and this is our time to have to face some adversity because we've had it pretty easy, especially here in North America. So let's think about these people and uh, the, the missionary and the mission outreach of the, I guess it's okay to say BACA, but... Um, this means Biblical Institute of Central America. So let me just give you some updates while this is rolling. Um, and Eric Mosley's the one that uh, sent this email to me, one of the deacons here. So uh, just remember, you know, I mean, we can't hardly travel here so without a lot of problems, much less leave the country. So this school that's trying to evangelize uh, couldn't go any on any of their 2020 campaigns as of March 2020 because of the pandemic. Prayers uh, on their behalf, if you'll remember them this week, uh, that this uh, year's new students from Cuba can travel to Guatemala. 
the government in Cuba is partially shut down. I wasn't aware of that. I mean, I'm to the point now, I don't even like watching anything on the news. So, but of course that's going to come with some, uh, maybe some slowdown with their approval of their travel. So if there's any way that, you know, divine intervention could ex expedite this, God's all powerful. So we know that uh, good things come from him. So let's remember that. And uh, also pray that the government in Guatemala will approve <clears throat> the Biblical Institute's request to travel in 2021 for the evangelistic campaigns in areas where the outbreak isn't as bad. So those places that they can actually get to. So if you all would just remember that, uh, it would be very appreciated going into all the world and spreading the gospel take it for granted a lot here, but sometimes I'm wondering if here and where we need it the most, it's just it's craziness, but so uh, let's go to the uh, Father in prayer and be thankful for what we do have. Lord, we're a blessed nation and we're a blessed people, and we don't always agree with things that go on, things that don't go our way. But most of us have a roof over our head and food to eat. And we know where it comes from. Mine doesn't come from UPS. And Joanna's doesn't come from White House ISD. They come from you. And we understand that. And you have blessed us. And you've blessed us as a nation. You've blessed us as a world. Everything is yours anyway. We're just here for a minute and for a moment. We need to do what we should do with the time that we have here. We're mostly just giving thanks, Lord. Thank you. We can't thank you enough. We're so blessed. And we also understand, Lord, that we talk about these times and these times, and there's nothing new under the sun. Everybody's faced adversity. I have not had to give my life up on a cross or hang upside down because of persecution from the news media. I mean, comparing the two, it's, there's no comparison. So just thank you for the blessings we have, Lord. We are so blessed. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's sing together. By, by the way, during this time, our young people are, can pass to their Bible class. If you find it convenient, let's go ahead and stand. And let's sing together. I'd like to say, Lord, from the start, thank you for breaking through my heart. Thank you for tearing every chain apart. When I was lost, you made a way. You turned the darkest night today. You are my joy and Lord, I'd like to say that nobody fills my heart like Jesus. Nobody thrills me like you do. Oh, nobody fills my heart like Jesus. Nobody, Lord, but you. When I am weak, my Lord, you're strong, loving me Listening, following your voice, being with you, I can't help but rejoice. For nobody fills my heart like Jesus, nobody thrills me like you do. Oh, nobody fills my heart like Jesus, nobody, Lord, but you. No, nobody. So we've all experienced it. Someone comes up to you and says, I've got good news and I've got bad news. Which do you like first? 
And you can answer that out loud if you want. It's not a threatening question, really. Which do you like first, the good news or the bad news? I hear a few uh, bad newses, and I think I probably am one of those as well. I, I think it's kind of a delayed gratification kind of thing. If I know I'm going to have good news and bad news, let's get the bad news out of the way so that I can focus on the good. And, uh, I, and so I think probably the majority of us would say, go ahead and give me the bad news and then the good news. And that's kind of what Paul does in Romans, except I think it's a little bit more complicated uh, for Paul. Because I think in Romans, it's good news, bad news, good news, good news. I think that's how he does it. Uh, I think he begins with good news in chapter 1, in the first part of chapter 1, as he talks about the gospel. And he says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God for salvation uh, to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the non-Jew, the Gentile. Because in the gospel of Christ, the righteousness of God is revealed, that comes through faith. It is by faith from first to last, alpha to omega, A to Z, beginning to end. It is all faith. Paul starts out by saying, that is the good news. Um, but we can't really appreciate that good news without understanding and acknowledging the bad news. And so before he can really elaborate on that gospel, which he does for 11 chapters, <laughs> pretty much, he's going to start with the bad news. He begins by introducing the gospel, introducing how Jesus was declared with power to be the son of God through the resurrection, all of that happening in chapter one. But then about halfway, two thirds of the way through chapter one, he gives us the bad news. And the bad news goes throughout the rest of chapter one and all of chapter two and about two thirds of chapter three of Romans, all bad news. And the bad news is simply this, we've all sinned. Everyone is a sinner, everyone is condemned. And he starts with the non-Jews, the Gentiles, the, the, the people of the world who aren't descendants of Abraham, aren't descendants of Moses, don't have the law, perhaps never heard of the law, and yet they are declared to be sinners. Because there were some things about God and about themselves that they should know even without ever hearing the law. And that is that there is a creator, and I'm not him. <laughs> and therefore, I should worship and serve the creator rather than the creature myself. And so they should be able to understand there is an eternal God there who is divine. God's eternal and divine nature is something that everyone is accountable for acknowledging. And so if the non-Jews didn't acknowledge that, then, then they are condemned. But then he turns over to his fellow Jews and he says, we're not any better. And I think Paul would probably say, we're actually worse. Because we have the law. We know right from wrong. And yet, and yet, we haven't obeyed it. We have sought to worship and serve ourselves just as much as our Gentile friends have. We just did it knowing the law. And so because of that, all the Jews are condemned as well. And that gets us to chapter 3 at the beginning where he recites a bunch of Old Testament scriptures and he says, There is none who is righteous, no, not even one. Including that great chapter in Isaiah 59 when he when he says our sins have separated us from our holy and just and righteous God. And therefore we are condemned. And that was the lesson last week. Aren't you sorry you missed that wonderful lesson of how horrible we are? <laughs> sorry that I didn't get to share that with you today. But that, that is the bad news. And if there were no gospel. If that's where it ended, where would we be? We'd be looking to try to find some form of being good enough ourselves to bring about our forgiveness of the times when we weren't good. And it's impossible to do that. 
Because we can't do enough good to make up for even one sin. It, it just doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And so he starts off with the good news introducing the gospel. Then he quickly gets into the bad news, how we've all sinned. And then he gives the good news again. And that is the passage that we're focusing on today primarily. The passage that Sean read as we gathered around the table. Remembering that great gift of Jesus Christ. And he came for the very reason that we have sinned. The good news is there because the bad news is there. And because we could not save ourselves from our own sinfulness, God provided a way. He provided a way and that way cost him. Cost him his own son. It is that blood, as Sean said. It is that blood that washes away our sins and nothing else. Without that blood, there is no hope. So the good news, there is a gospel. The bad news, we've all sinned and and can't save ourselves. The good news is God has acted to save us. And then more good news a little bit further on, and starting especially in chapter 12, a little hint of it in chapter 6, but especially in chapter 12, the rest of the good news uh, is that we can live a life that honors the one who sacrificed so much to bring us to salvation. Good news is there is a gospel. The bad news is we have sinned and cannot save ourselves. The good news is God has acted to save us. And more good news, we can live accordingly. Not to earn salvation, not to try to be good enough, but out of gratitude and out of a sense of desire to serve and be obedient to the one who gave all for us. And so that's where we've come to in our study of, of Romans. We are, we've come to that third set of good news, or that third set of news, second set of good news. And that is simply this, while not even one is righteous on our own, the righteousness of God is available for all who believe. That truly is the good news of the gospel. It came about through the death, burial, and resurrection of the Son of God himself, Jesus Christ. But not even one of us is righteous on our own, and yet, in spite of that, the righteousness of God is thus available for all who believe. Last week's message spoke about our own righteousness, rather our own unrighteousness. We try to be righteous on our own and we fail. Unless and until we recognize our own sinfulness, our own unrighteousness, in the eyes of a holy and righteous God, we cannot fully appreciate and understand God's grace and the righteousness from God that comes by faith. Until we acknowledge that and appreciate it and begin to understand it, we will continue to settle for something far, far less. And that's righteousness based on my own good deeds, based on my desire to do the thou shalts and to not do the thou shalt nots. To choose our own righteousness is to choose unrighteousness. It is to choose punishment over forgiveness, guilt over innocence, and death over life. The reason, there is no one who is righteous. No, not even one. The very best and most unselfish and most moral and ethical person that you have ever known is not good enough. Because even they have sins. And their sins condemn them and all the good deeds in the world cannot save them they need something more the good news of the gospel is because of the death burial and resurrection of jesus christ this righteousness from god apart from law comes through faith to all who believe why is that because all have sinned that's exactly what we're about to read 
that is superbly affirmed in what Dr. Leon Morris has suggested may be, quote, possibly the most important single paragraph ever written. Wow. When I read that about this passage that I'm about to preach on, I tell myself, Bill, don't mess it up. (laughs) Let this passage speak. And I agree that it could be the most important single paragraph ever written. So let's talk about this paragraph in the chapter that follows in Romans 3 and 4. First of all, all who believe because all have sinned. Why is this out to all who believe? It is because all have sinned. This passage in Romans 3, beginning in verse 21, we'll read through verse 31. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement, a propitiation, through the shedding of his blood, to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness, because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time, so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith in Jesus. Verse 27, where then is boasting? It is excluded. Because of what law? The law that requires works? No, because of the law that requires faith. For we maintain that a person is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles too? Yes, of Gentiles too. Since there is only one God, who will justify the circumcised by faith, the Jews, and the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, through that same faith. Do we then nullify the law by this faith? Not at all. Rather, we uphold the law. It's a marvelous statement that deals with sin, that deals with atonement, that deals with forgiveness, that deals with salvation, And that deals with God's justice. Because there's not, it's not acceptable for God to save humanity and give up his justice and his holiness in doing so. There must be a way for God to continue to be the holy and just and righteous God that he is and at the same time save humanity who does not deserve saving on their own. How do you do that? Well, there there wouldn't be a problem if we had just obeyed. If we had never disobeyed, if we had just been faithful on our own, then it would be a moot point because both would be intact. But because we've sinned, we deserve to die. What Paul will say at the end of Romans 6 is the wages of sin is death. If we get what we deserve, we die. But God doesn't want us to die. And so he's provided a way for us to be saved in spite of our sins, but it's a way that also acknowledges and affirms his own justice and the seriousness with which he takes sin. That way is the life and blood of his own son. And this is available for all who believe because all have sinned. There are several sentences on your outlines that we'll see today. And I hope that you're able to consider these things and to perhaps check up on some of these scripture passages throughout this week. All who believe receive this gospel because all have sinned. 
And so a few things about this passage. Number one, the righteousness from God is apart from law, yet it fulfills the law. Verse 21, now apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been made known to which the law and the prophets testify. Verse 31, this righteousness that comes by faith does not negate the law, it actually upholds the law. As Jesus himself said in Matthew 5, I've not come to abolish or destroy the law, but to fulfill it, to bring it to its fulfillment. The righteousness from God is apart from law, and yet it fulfills the law. Number two, the righteousness from God comes through faith. Romans 3, verse 22, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Why must it come through faith? Because we have sinned. And so therefore, if it only comes through our good works and good life, we fail. And no one lives. That's the case he has made already. Righteousness from God comes through faith. Number three, the righteousness from God comes to all who believe. Why? Because all have sinned. Because everyone has sinned, everyone is eligible for this salvation. They must receive it by faith. But if they fail to receive it, it's not because God left them no hope. If we fail to receive this salvation, this righteousness that comes by faith, then that is our choice, not God's. God doesn't want that. How badly does he not want that? He gave his son on the cross. He sent him from heaven, from his own presence. And so verses 22 and 23, this righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. There is no difference between Jew and Gentile for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. I can tell you that Romans 3.23 was one of the first scriptures I ever memorized after I became a Christian in the ninth grade. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But young teenager Bill, that was... That was all he shared about that (laughs) and failed to acknowledge the context that that very, very bad news verse comes in because the context all around that verse says, this is why Jesus died for Bill, for everyone, because all have sinned and fall short of God's glory. And that's why all can receive salvation by faith. Rather than by their own sinlessness, which would be impossible. Having two daughters of my own, I like this story that someone tells. I took my two daughters, Abby and Flannery, out to get something fun to drink at a coffee stand. Abby got an apple juice and Flannery got a mango surprise. I like her already. Despite my insistence that I would pay, my daughters had brought the contents of their piggy banks. A combined total of about 80 cents. As we were walking up to the counter, one of them said, I want to pay for mine. I assured her, daddy's going to get it. Nonetheless, she insisted, I'm paying for mine. As the clerk rang it up, he said, that'll be $2.06. And she put her change on the counter. Um, that's, that's not enough, the clerk responded. I felt a little tug of my sweater from my other daughter. I looked down and she said, I think I'd like to use your money. (laughs) For some reason or another, we want to use our own money. Even though it's not enough. It is not enough. Enough. No matter how good you are, no matter how many commandments you've obeyed, it is not enough. You need to use your Father's 
money. This salvation is open and available to all. Why? Because all have sinned. And on our own, we all fall short. And the consequences means death. If we try to get there on our own. Number four, all are justified freely by his grace because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. This passage continues in verse 24. All are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. God presented Christ as a sacrifice of atonement through the shedding of his blood to be received by faith. He did this to demonstrate his righteousness because in his forbearance he had left the sins committed beforehand unpunished. He did it to demonstrate his righteousness at the present time so as to be just and the one who justifies those who have faith. All are justified freely by his grace because of the sacrifice of Christ Jesus. And there's a couple of $1.298 words there. One is propitiation, one is expiation. And the easy definition that helps me understand, propitiation is when God makes us righteous through the death of Christ... And expiation is very similar, but it's told in a negative perspective. That's when God takes away our sin, expiates our sin. But for the same purpose and as the same reason, because of the death of Jesus Christ. So he makes us righteous and he takes away our sin through that event, the death of Jesus Christ. And that that salvation and cleansing and forgiveness is open to all who will believe, who will respond in faith. Number five, God's justice is preserved, though he justifies those who do not deserve it. That sounds like a contradiction, doesn't it? But because of the verses we just read, it's not. Because Jesus pays the price that we should be paying for sin, so that bill is paid. We just weren't the ones that could pay it. And so God is able to be merciful and forgiving to us. And at the same time uphold his justice. And his nature of not being able to justify or be around sin. Because his son paid the price for us. And number six, all boasting then is excluded for everyone. There is no one who can boast. Oh, look at my good life. Look at me, how obediently I have lived, how I have responded. Just as Paul tells the Ephesians in Ephesians chapter 2, we are saved by grace through faith, by grace through the response of faith. But then he immediately adds, and that's not of yourself so that no one can boast. That's exactly what Paul says here. Yes, maybe you have responded by faith. Maybe you have believed and repented of your sins and changed your life and confessed that faith and been baptized into Christ to be raised to live a new life, as he's going to say in Romans 6. But you can't boast in that. You have no right to take pride in that. Because without the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, that means nothing. Nothing. But with it. With the blood of Christ. That means everything, everything. And that good news of the gospel is available to everyone because no one can make it on their own. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. It is on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Anything else is sinking sand. Well, a quick look at Romans chapter 4. Faith is credited as righteousness. Because now this gospel is available to all who believe because all have sinned. This faith is credited to us as righteousness. And he's going to give two great Old Testament heroes of faith as examples. Abraham and David. 
in Romans chapter 4. First of all, number one, Abraham believed God and God credited it to him as righteousness. This is a direct quote from Genesis 15 verse 6. This is how Paul puts it to the Romans in chapter 4, verse 1. What then shall we say that Abraham, our forefather, according to the flesh, discovered in this matter? Let's call up Father Abraham. If, in fact, Abraham was justified by works, he had something to boast about, but not before God. What does Scripture say, though? Verse 3. Abraham believed God, and it was credited to him as righteousness. Now, to the one who works, wages are not credited as a gift, but as an obligation. If you do the work, you get the pay. However, to the one who does not work, but trusts God, who justifies the ungodly, their faith is credited as righteousness. David says the same thing. And so Abraham was credited with righteousness because he believed and trusted in God. Number two, David said, blessed is the one whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. These are the next three verses in Romans 4, verse 6 through 8. David says the same thing when he speaks of the blessedness of the one to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And then Paul quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven, whose sins are covered. Blessed is the one whose sin the Lord will never count against them. Not blessed is the one who's never sinned. Blessed are the one whose sins are forgiven. David understood that firsthand. And we read about that in Psalms 32 and 51 especially. Number three, against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. So for the rest of chapter four, he talks about Abraham. But he talks about him being saved because of his faith. Because he trusted in the one who spoke to him. Verse 13 of Romans 4. It was not through the law that Abraham and his offspring received the promise that he would be heir of the world. But through the righteousness that comes by faith. And then this great statement in verse 18. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. And so became the father of many nations. What a great, great statement. Against all hope, Abraham in hope believed. Believed that God could give him children. Believed that God could bring him into a great nation. Believed that God would fulfill his promises. And so not just for Paul, not just for Abraham, not just for David, but for all who believe. This gospel is for all who believe. Romans chapter 4 ends this way in verses 23 through 25. The words, it was credited to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us, to whom God will credit righteousness, for us who believe in him, who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Which reinforces what we read in chapter 3. That even though we had sinned, this gospel is available for all who believe. Because all have sinned and fall short on our own. And all are saved strictly, specifically. Through the cleansing, the forgiveness that comes through the sacrifice of the Son of God himself. Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord. I want to be ready. When he returns, when he calls me before the Father in judgment. But there's only one way I can be ready. And it's not because I've lived such a good life. Or done good things or not done bad things. For us to be ready. It is because we have placed our trust and our faith firmly. In the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who gave his life for us. This morning, if we can help you, be ready to know that one who loved you so much that he shed his blood and gave his life for you. Come as we stand and sing our song together.
You may have your worldly pleasures, your silver, your gold. You may pile up all the riches that this old world can hold. But I'd rather have my Savior and with him a firmly stand. For I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land. Well, I want to be ready to meet him by and by. I want to be ready to meet him in the sky. Oh, I want to be more like him and to do his blessed commands. For I want to be ready to meet him in the glory land. There is one thing I can boast of, salvation from the fall. I'm an heir to the wealth of glory, my father owns it all. That is why I'm shouting happy, and I go at his commands. For I want to be ready to be here in the glory land. Well, I want to be ready to be him by and by. And I want to be ready to be him in the sky. Oh, I want to be more like him and to do his blessed commands. For I want to be ready to be him in the glory land. Amen. Brethren, as is uh, my opportunity, I want to thank all of you for being here today. Those of you that are members, it's so good to see your faces again. Doesn't seem like we're able to get together enough and certainly not able to get close enough as we would like. If you're visiting with us today, we're always glad you're here. We invite you to come back to be with us. And for those who are uh, part of our online service, we're especially glad you made the effort to be with us. We pray God's blessings on you and your house. We thank you so much. And we remind you as we close with one verse of Seek You First, with a great verse, Psalm 133, verse 1, how good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Let's sing together. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. Father, we thank you for this time that we've had to come together as a church and to worship you. Father, we've all sinned and we pray for your forgiveness when we sin. Father, help us to live a life that's worthy of being called a Christian and to stand up for what's right. Thank you for Jesus. Bless the sick. Bless those that have lost loved ones. And we pray for that home with you in heaven when we die. In Jesus' name, amen.